for uh, my study today, if you guys take notes, it's a walk with Jesus. And, and that's exactly what we're going to see because we're going to look about these two disciples as they had a walk with Jesus. And, and there's this famous account that maybe you guys have heard about it, but these two disciples who were sad and Jesus kind of incognito comes alongside them and begins to have this conversation with them. We're going to take a look at that. But as I was getting ready this morning and, and, and thinking about what we're studying today, and, and for me personally, the trip that I just took, uh, being there in, in Israel, uh, I, I, was, I felt like when I was there in Israel that uh, my wife and I got to see the place, to see the land where Jesus was, and we wrote it in our Bible when we would come to a certain path portion of scripture that I was here. I was in this place right here that's talk, being talked about in the Bible. And I'm trying to picture who Jesus was during that time and the things that his characteristics dealing with the disciples there near the Sea of Galilee and what the disciples were going through. And, and I personally, I want to grow to know more of who Jesus is. I really do. I, I want to grow to know more of it. And what amazes me is that the disciples had him right there in front of them. Like the, the own, their flesh and blood, the, the God-man Jesus got to sit down with the disciples and, and break bread with them and eat with them. And man, how amazing that, that would have been. And, and, I, and I feel like for me taking a trip like that and then studying the character of Jesus is, uh, I, I grow a little bit closer every time I read my Bible to knowing Jesus' character and knowing who he was and what, and what he did and who he is today because he's our living Jesus. And, and, and it excites me and I, and I, I want to draw closer to him. I want to know what he wants for us, what he wants for me, our families, our church. So that's kind of what I see happening here in this portion of scripture that we're studying when, when we talk about a walk with Jesus, you know, we, we have our, we call it a walk in faith, right? And we don't call it, uh, it's, it's not a sprint in faith. And, and many times when, when people try to sprint in their faith, they, they end up having what's called, the, they, they call it burnout because they're just doing, trying to do so much in their own striving that they just get burnt out. And, and so we call it a walk, because it's a, it's a long marathon. In fact, it's a marathon that lasts for eternity. And it's going to keep going. And you, and you guys are each individually on your walk, particularly with Jesus. Now, that's something that's amazing to me. Is that I go through my little personal experience and my peripheral view or my point of view of just walking with the Lord. And, I, and I, all these things that are taking place in my heart and in my mind, in my relationship with Jesus. And then... I have to realize too, but that each and every single one of you guys have your own individual walk with him. And sometimes Jesus will take you on a different trail than he'll take me on. And sometimes he takes us to mountains and valleys and, and different seasons at different times. And yet we're all still united and get to walk with the same Jesus. He's our same Lord. And that's why we could come together in a place like this on the morning and all unite in one mind and in one heart. And that's beautiful to me. So I, I want to encourage us this morning with the, this scripture that, look, we can learn more about Jesus. And I, I think I'm jumping into one of my points. So I, before I, I do that, let's read 
the text uh, of Luke's gospel, chapter 24. We're going to study at the beginning of, of verse 13, and I'm going to go up until verse 35. So in verse 13, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him, But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened, yes. And certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them and the breaking of bread. I love this story in the Bible. This is such an an amazing account, an amazing portion that Luke only includes in his gospel. Uh, There is another reference to it uh, elsewhere in the gospels, but it's not in in depth of what these two guys got to experience. Because remember, these two disciples, one of them unnamed, they, they were in the darkest point now in their walk. Because their Jesus was crucified. 
put to death. And, and after those three years of being alongside Jesus and, and following after him in his ministry, it climaxed to this moment where Jesus was crucified and now their hope was gone. And it's kind of, they're, they're left in this place right here without hope, it's dark. They're wondering what is next in their life. So let's divide some of the texts this morning. We'll start with verse 13. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So here we have the two disciples. One of them we know, his name's Cleopas. And now if you notice, they're leaving Jerusalem on the same Sunday that Jesus was resurrected. The same day that Jesus uh, uh, appeared, I'm sorry, the, the angels appeared to the women and told them, look, he's not here, he is risen. That very same day, these two disciples are on the road, they're walking. And if you remember, Jesus told the disciples, and we talked about this last week, constantly he would remind them, look, I'm going to go be crucified, be buried, and on the third day I will rise. But what do we see these two disciples doing? Are, are they waiting for Jesus to, to come out of the grave? No, what are they doing? They're, they've left Jerusalem. They say, come on, let's go back home. Let's go back to work. Let's go back to doing the things that we were doing before Jesus was crucified. And they're leaving, uh, they're leaving it behind. They're, leaving, they're walking away from the very words that Christ gave them. They're walking away from those things. They're leaving behind hope, the work that they were called to. And I know that there's times in our life when we think that the right thing to do is to walk away. When God wants us to wait. So my first point this morning, point number one, is to abide in Christ. That word abide, it means to wait, to tarry, to have long suffering and stay still in, what am I saying? In Christ. At the end of this chapter, we're not going to get to it yet, but Jesus is even going to say to his disciples, look, tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We're not there yet. In verse 14, it says, And they talked together of all these things which had happened. What things that had happened? Imagine now, the disciples, they're, they're walking away from Jerusalem, and they're just venting to each other. They're like, man, what happened? We thought that this man, Jesus, was going to, to free us from Rome. We thought that we were getting called now to a, a, a place of authority and leadership. And we thought Jesus was going to be the one to fix all of our problems, all the sacrifices that we, we made to leave our, our, our families, our jobs behind to follow after this man. The miracles that we saw Jesus work, the miracles that were worked through us, the lessons that we learned along the way, the, the way Jesus impacted our life, and now they're at a fork in the road. Like, do I continue to believe that Jesus is true and that what he said is going to come to pass? Or do I go back and say, you know what? I don't see it, therefore I don't believe it. I don't see Jesus coming back, therefore I'm gonna walk away. They're at a fork in the road in their life. And then in verse 15, it says, so it was while they conversed and reasoned 
that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And this idea to me of conversing and reasoning, sometimes we sure like to try to reason God's doings, don't we? We sure, we, we sure try to like to understand exactly what God is doing in our life and how is it possible that we are here today. And sometimes those reasonings actually just get us in a place of anxiety, a place where we begin to lose trust. There, there's a place for reason and there's a place for honest skepticism, but it has to be also met with faith. In verse 16, it says, as Jesus himself drew near and went with them in verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. You see, I'm wondering if, if as they were conversing and reasoning with each other, if they were looking back at their past and now they're saying, man, that, that's all gone away. Maybe we made a mistake in following after Jesus. And now they're worried about the future. Like what's going to happen next? What are we going to do now? This past Wednesday, uh, I referenced uh, a book called The Screwtape Letters in, uh, in my study. There's an interesting book by C.S. Lewis. You guys know C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia, a, a Christian author. He has, has this book that illustrates, actually, what is happening in the spiritual realm. And in this book, as he's writing it, called The Screwtape Letters, there's these uh, demons that he, he writes about. And there's this one named Screwtape. And then there's uh, kind of like the Padawan little disciple demon uh, named Wormwood. And Screwtape, the older, more... Uh, cunning demon is teaching the younger demon, Screwtape. And there's one interesting thing that C.S. Lewis illustrates, illustrates in his book. And he says, look, this is what you need to do to the humans, what you need to do to man. If you could just get them, their eyes off of what God is doing in the present, allow them just to focus on all their past mistakes, and then allow them to focus on all the future worries and concerns and get their eyes off of what, who God is in the moment, then you're going to have victory in their life. And that's what, in the spiritual warfare, in our spiritual minds, in our flesh, that's what happens. We get so concerned about all of our past mistakes and so worried about all the future things that are coming our way that we forget that what God has called us to today, of what, who God is in our life this morning, what he's doing with us and the promises that he has for us. So much so that these disciples, as they're conversing and reasoning and all the things that took place, they're blind to the fact that the very one who they desire to be with the most has just approached them, and they're blind to that fact. They don't realize that it's Jesus himself who's approached them and is beginning to talk with them. In verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So now as Jesus is approaching them incognito, they don't realize it's him. He, he's saying, like, what is this conversation you guys are talking about? What are you guys talking about? Why are you guys so sad? What's going on? And maybe we've been in situations before where we notice when someone's sad. 
And we're, or we see like someone is just like, you could see that they got the tears going on in their eyes. And maybe you, you're like, man, you want to have that heart. You just want to go and be like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Or maybe you, it's kind of like the moment in the grocery store where you see them and you're like, you go the other way, right? You're like, you just get a little embarrassed, a little shy, embarrassed for them, embarrassed for yourself, right? You're like, I don't know how to handle a crying person in the moment. But Jesus doesn't shy away from these two disciples. In fact, he was really chasing after them. He's coming to them. He approaches them in their sadness, in their pain, in their trial. And when we talk about trials, I'm reminded of how often Jesus would approach, even leave all his disciples just to, to meet with one person who was in a trial, one person who was by themselves, the synagogue who needed to be healed, Jesus would go to that place just for the one. Uh, of the testing that the disciples, I'm thinking of the testing that disciples endured in the storm and how God allowed these trials in their life to deal with an issue in their life. See, often when we think of the disciples in the storm, they're in the Sea of Galilee and the, the water's raging and they're waking Jesus up, Jesus, we're going to die. But the main point is, look, not the storm. The storm isn't the main point. God allowed for the storm to come in to test the disciples' faith because there was a problem with the disciples' faith. They had little of it. He said, why are you fearful? Why, why did you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. And then he calms the sea and the storm and the ragingness. See, God uses the trials in our life at times to deal with issues in our life so we can correct these things. And this is now the issue in these two disciples' life, Cleopas and this other disciple. They're sad because all their hope is gone. So God has come here. Jesus has come now, approach them. And then in verse 18, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Now, notice, Jesus asked them a question. He said, why are you guys, what's this conversation and why are you guys so sad? And rather than just answering Jesus' question, Cleopas responds with a question that's kind of condescending towards our Lord. He's like, wait, do you live under a rock? Do you not know the things that were taking place here? So in verse 19, Jesus answers, he says, and he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now, Notice Cleopas' words when he's describing him. Like, weren't, don't you know about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet? Now, I have to pause here for a moment. And I want to ask us, was, was Jesus just a prophet? Was he simply a, a, a man who came to this world and, and spoke God's words and then died? Was he just a prophet? My answer to that, no. See, the Muslims believe that Jesus is an honorable prophet. 
the Mormons, they even believe that he is part of, uh, of this strange trinity that he's the only son of God, but they don't believe that he's God eternal. They believe that Jesus was a created being and that we basically will one day be like Jesus with our own uni- our planets and that Jesus actually elevated himself to that point where he was God over this universe, which is blasphemous because then it, it puts Jesus on the same level as us. Because that means, look, one day you're going to get a planet, and you're going to get a planet, and you're going to get a planet. And you guys will all be like Jesus with your own little planets to rule over and be God over. So what it's doing, it's blasphemous because it brings Jesus to our level. That's a weird view of Jesus, okay? That's why we need to know proper doctrine. Jehovah's Witnesses, they completely deny the Trinity at all. They don't believe in the Trinity. And they only see Jesus as the Son of God, but not God himself. Do you remember Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew's Gospel, when they were in Caesarea Philippi? Being surrounded by all these idolatrous temples and all these different things that were taking place during their time, he turns to his disciples and he asks his his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, I'll have the verses there for you. In verse 13, he says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, some say, John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So here now, Jesus is, Peter is giving a a spiritual divine word from the eternal father about the authority of Jesus, that he's the son of, of God. Now, okay, well, is, does that mean that Jesus is also God himself? Well, my second point for my study this morning is good for us to be reminded of, to, to know this about our Jesus. But our second point, point two, is Jesus is equal to God. Jesus equals God. He is God. And let's review. I don't, I don't want to just say that there without giving us some, some proper verses and doctrine to show us this is a truth. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and verse 14, it says this in John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay. The beginning was the word it's with God and not only is the word with God but the word was God but is the word Jesus well look at verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth all right so we know that the word is equal to God and then the word is, became flesh. It's talking about Jesus right here. Jesus is God. And then do you guys remember when Jesus, when he would be meeting with the Pharisees and he'd be convicting them. He'd be calling them out for their hypocrisy in their life. And, and they would get angry with him and they'd be like, who do you think you are? And, and they would pick up stones to stone him. In John chapter 10, verse 33, 
The Jews answered, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. So the enemies, the Pharisees, the enemies of Jesus knew that Jesus was claiming to be God. So we don't need to get that mixed up. We, we see that there. And then one more verse for us to, to, to kind of drive the point home is in this interaction that he was having with the Pharisees earlier. As they were, they were saying to him, they said, well, you, you are talking about Abraham like, we're, are you, you're not even 50 years old. How, how can you talk about Abraham with such authority? And Jesus answered and said to them in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the word that he uses there, I am, that's the, the, the God. The ego emi is the Greek word behind it. That's the same I am that was used when the burning bush spoke to Moses and said, I am that I am. Jesus is saying before Abraham was ever alive, which was hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I, I existed. Why? Because Jesus was the word at the beginning. There with the father, he was God, never created himself. He was always in existence, creating everything. So do we see that Jesus is God? Yes, this morning we do. We see that. Now, Cleopas here, he has his understanding mixed up of who Jesus is. Because remember, he's saying, look, Jesus was a a prophet, mighty and in word and in deed. But Jesus was not just a prophet. And let's bring this now to uh, where we're at this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is? You know, it's sometimes easy for us as as believers to say, oh, Jesus is my savior. He's my savior. But, and my point three, but is Jesus your Lord? See, we could call out to Jesus, Jesus, save me, save me. I need help. I need healing. I need wisdom. I need your salvation. But then when Jesus says, okay, be obedient in this area, and we say, well, no, Lord. I don't want to do that. I don't want to die to myself, Lord. Because Jesus needs to be our Lord and our Savior. You know, it's so hard for us to die to ourselves at times. You know, it's contradictory to say no, Lord. Actually, you can't say really no, Lord. Because if you you say no, Lord, then in reality, that person you're speaking with is not your Lord. Because the answer to your Lord is always, yes, Lord, whatever you will, Lord. But if you're saying no, Lord, then automatically you're saying, I don't want to be your servant anymore. So there has to be in our lives, in our Christian walks, repentance, a death to self, a death to longing after the things of the world, the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all these things in our heart that would tear us away from the Lord is something that we need to put on the altar of God and say, God, I need you to take this away from me and I want you to be Lord in my life. You call the shots. I don't want to call the shots because that's where it gets me in a bad place. So we need to have Jesus not only as our Savior, but as our Lord. In verse 20, 
Again, we'll read, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Okay, so now the, the disciples are explaining to Jesus. They're like, man, we were hoping that God was gonna, re- that this man was gonna redeem Israel. And there's two misunderstandings that I see in verse 21 that the disciples had. The first misunderstanding was that Jesus was never supposed to die. They had this misunderstanding that the Messiah who came to the, this earth was supposed to be coming as a conqueror and to basically elevate them, to break them free from Rome, which also the second misunderstanding I see here is that Jesus was going to redeem Israel from Rome in their time. So they thought Jesus was never supposed to die and he was supposed to redeem us from Rome. Because remember, Rome had them, they were ruling over them at this time. And how often do we question what God is doing in our life? How often do we ask, God, why did you take my loved one from me? God, why did you allow me to lose this job? Why did you let this relationship fail? Why did you allow this disease in my life? God, how can you allow California to be a pro-choice state? Why all these trials in our nation? Why all these trials in our life? And we begin to ask God all these questions. And then we forget to look at his promises. We forget to look to his word. We forget to submit to his perfect will. And I don't want to even say that we forget to do that. We willingly sometimes disobey in it. You see, we're not called to understand everything that God is doing in our life. We're not. Because we can't. Our little minds in comparison to the infinite God mind, right? It's like more of, there's more, we're closer to the ants than we are to God. <laughs> With our, as far as our human capacity. Our little minds. But God cares so much more about us. And yet God takes care of the birds, doesn't he? He feeds them. We don't see the the flowers stressing out, Jesus said. But how much more so does God love us here? God wants our obedience. If you were here on Wednesday night this past week, we, we talked about suffering in Christ, and we talked about how God allows us to go through trials in our life. And one of the reasons, just one of the many reasons that God allows trials in our life is because when we, we go through trials, when we suffer in Christ, the comfort of God abounds in us even more so. It abounds in us. And then Paul, as he's writing to the, the, the Corinthians, encourages them, look, the, the pain that, and trials that you guys th- go through, God is going to bring comfort, and that's a promise. And then with that comfort, God wants us to share that same comfort with other people. So that when we're going through a trial, God allows it so that when someone comes along your life, it's like, man, they start to express to you, I'm going through this in my life. I'm going through this trial. And God wants you, okay, tell them what I did in your life when you were going through a similar trial. Tell them about my comfort. 
Tell them about my peace, the hope that is in Christ. In verse 22, yes, these disciples are continuing their, their account with Jesus. They're saying, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Now, at this part, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if the disciples were almost, because they didn't believe at this point, if they were almost making it sound like the women were a little crazy. There's certain women of our company, you, you know, they just didn't say certain, you know, other disciples, they said there are certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early. They astonished us. And I also noticed this, that what the words that they use, it says they had also seen a vision of angels. Which to me, it's like they saw angels. It wasn't just a vision of angels. They, they saw the angels were speaking to them. So I wonder if they're like, oh, okay, he's not going to believe us if we say that they saw angels. So they're, oh, they had this vision, this you know, spirit, supernatural vision that the angels were there. No, the angels were really there. And it, I, I, you know, I don't want to critique them too much, be too hard on them, because maybe with the, just the phrasing, the, the vision of angels is the sight of angels. But I do wonder. In verse 24, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. See, they didn't, they didn't see Jesus, but they said the tomb was empty. So they're leaving it. We don't really know what's going on, bro. Now our brothers, look, they're basically saying the other disciples, they went to go investigate. They didn't see him. And here they're doubting. They're doubting uh, on really the, the, the account, the testimony that these women had. And I'm reminded of, of Thomas, right? He, he has the, the sad staple name of doubting Thomas in his life. I, I kind of see him as more skeptical Thomas, but when he said, I won't, the, the disciples came to him, they said, we saw the risen Lord. And he said, no, you guys didn't. And he said, I'm not gonna believe until I see Jesus and I could put my fingers in his side where they pierced him and through the holes in his hand. And then Jesus appears to him. He says, Peter, come, touch. Put your hand in my hand. Put it in my side. And then Thomas looks into my Jesus, my Savior, and my Lord. And my God, he says. So Jesus told tells Thomas, he says, look, you believe because you've seen. You believe because I'm here in front of you. But blessed are those who believe without seeing. Now, how many here this morning have seen the resurrected Jesus in body here? Raise your hand if you have. In flesh, the physical Jesus. None of us have. And Jesus said, blessed are you because you believe without seeing. That's amazing that we are even more happier and more have our faith increased more because we haven't seen. And so many times in our life, we're like, man, if I would have just been there and, and, and saw Jesus, how much more it would have impacted me. If I would have seen Jesus on the cross, how much more it would have impacted me. He said, blessed are you who believe without seeing. And that takes faith. Which leads me to my fourth point, which I kind of said it already. Believe when you can't see. 
believe when you can't see. And so many times in our life, you're going to go through seasons and trials where you're, you don't know where the provision is going to come from. You don't know how God is going to perform the miracle. You don't understand how God is going to mend the relationship, how God is going to pave the way for you to get across the Red Sea. See, sometimes we're, we're more of this attitude of, Jesus, I don't see you in my workplace. Jesus, I don't see you in my family's lives. I don't see you even maybe in my church, Jesus. Where are you? When I read my Bible, Jesus, where are you? When I pray, Jesus, where are you? Why? Because we're very sensual people at times. We want to see it. We want to feel it. We want the provision already there. We want a God that we can see, feel, and touch. That's what we want. And then sometimes in our life, we want to live on that mountaintop experience where when we have faith, when everything's going good in our life, that's where we want to stay and we don't want to go through the trials in our life. And I'm wondering this morning, do, do we rely on our atmosphere in order to worship God and to grow in our faith? Is that what we rely on? Do the lights have to be turned off in order for us to, to say, Jesus, I love you? Do I have to take away my Uncle Sal's job <laughs> of turning off the lights? <laughs> no, we don't. We could leave the lights on. I, I do like the lights off because then sometimes people get a little self-conscious of themselves. But it's real easy for me to just light a bunch of candles in the room, turn off the lights, for us to kind of start to feel something. You know, there's times in my life when I have felt moved by an emotional song, like something from Coldplay. Like, oh man, that song sounds so just emotional and I feel myself moved emotionally because the music is so moving. And sometimes I have to ask myself, because I love worship, is it God moving me or is it the chord progression that I'm hearing right now in a song? And do we believe God stops working when we don't see things happening in our life? See, it's not always about the feeling. It's not always about the emotion, which I love the feeling. I love the emotion. But do I believe that God is there when I don't have that warmness in my heart? Because God is still there. God is still working. When we're going through a season of long suffering, God is working even when we don't see him. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God makes all things end up working together for good in our life? Even when we don't see it. That's something I want to exhort us to this morning, to believe without the sight. In verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets, in all that the prophets have spoken so now, okay, we're coming to this point where the Cleopas and the disciple, they've just explained, man, we thought Jesus was going to do this. We thought our lives were going to be like this and that. And they took Jesus. They crucified him. And now we're out without hope. And then Jesus kind of comes in and says, oh, foolish ones. Those, are, those who are without understanding, Jesus is calling them. They're slow in heart, meaning they're not ready and they're not willing to believe in all that the Old Testament prophets talked about 
concerning the Messiah. They're not ready and willing to believe in the word of God. See, the Jews were quick to believe in their coming Messiah as a king and as a lion coming to roar and to conquer. But they were slow in believing that the Messiah was going to come as a suffering servant. They didn't quite understand those portions of scripture in the Old Testament. They didn't understand how it talked about the lamb that was going to be slain for the sins of the world. And even to this day, that's the main difference between us Christians and the Jewish religion. Because, did you guys know this? Did you guys know Jesus was Jewish? Did you know he wasn't Christian? That Jesus was Jewish? Some people were like, what? Then why am I a Christian? Because of this. Jesus came to the Jews. They all believed in one God. And he came as their Messiah and said, look, now I'm going to show you guys the new covenant. And the Jews who followed after Jesus and said, this is the Messiah, they became known as the Christians. And they were different than the other Jews who said, no, that's not the Messiah. That's not, Jesus isn't the way, the truth, and the life. And so now there's a difference, right, in, in the religious people. There's people who believe Jesus is the way, and there's people who didn't. And the Jews didn't believe, stayed Jews, and the Jews who believed in Jesus became Christians. To this day, some of them are called Messianic Jews. Um, to this day, they still struggle with that there in Israel. And they, when they read the Old Testament, they, they don't read it the same way we do. They, they look at those scriptures and they try to kind of just dismiss that Jesus fulfilled these things in prophecy. And this is our nature as human beings, that we, we like the verses that talk about us being more than conquerors, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We got that tattooed on us or something. Like, right? We, we try to like say, look, God has made us kings and priests and we go out there in the world and we're, we're like, yeah, we're conquerors in Christ, which is true. And that is true, that we are more than conquerors in Christ. However, there's another part of that that we have to have in our Christian walk is that Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're reviled and made fun of for my sake. Jesus said, blessed are you when you endure trial. So how do we, we kind of balance that now, right? We have to balance it now in our life. It's not just, oh, we ride on all the, the scriptures that talk about us and the blessings that we have in life and we don't want to do, have anything to do with trial in our life. No, we need to have that balance because Christ calls us to die to ourselves. Paul would write to the Corinthians that I might know him and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Try to sell that, right, in the world. Fellowship of sufferings. Most people are like, nope, I'm going to cancel my subscription to that. In verse 26, the disciples continue. They ask Jesus, they, or I'm sorry, Jesus asks the disciples, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So this is what he's saying. Look at all the Old Testament right here is going to point to the Messiah who is going to suffer on the cross for you and me. Which leads me to my fifth point this morning. My fifth point is that the whole Bible 
points to Jesus. The whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. You see, when Jesus went on the cross, he took our punishment, he took our wrath upon himself. And then afterward, he entered into glory in order so that you and I, one day, can also enter into glory with our Father in heaven. And then in verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus said, okay, Cleopas, pump their brakes. I'm going to enlighten you on a little bit of something right here. And he began to give them what was probably the greatest Bible study that was ever given and Jesus began to explain to them, showing them all the Old Testament scriptures that were pointing to him, to Jesus being the Messiah. Pointing, I, I'm thinking uh, of Jesus using the illustration of, you guys remember Abraham and Isaac? Abraham's only son, Isaac. God told him, hey, I want you to take your son, your only son, and offer him up as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And then Abraham had to go through that trial of, man, uh, am I going to have faith that God is going to be able to resurrect my son, that I'm gonna, still going to have many nations of children come from this only son that I have? And then right when he was about to make the sacrifice in obedience to God, God said, stop. He sent the angel and stopped him and said, I know now that you're, you are faithful, that you're obedient. And then... As he, uh, before that, as Abraham's walking with his son Isaac, and Isaac's like, Dad, I see you got the, the fire going, but where's the sacrifice? And he says this prophetic word to his son. He says, Isaac, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And then some close to 2,000 years later, on that same mountaintop, Jesus did provide himself a sacrifice. There was an illustration there, a huge illustration of God the Father allowing his only son to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And I'm sure Jesus went through other verses relating to the suffering Messiah. You, you could read on extra credit, okay? Go home and read this. Psalm 22 talks about the suffering Messiah. Um, maybe he referenced about the Passover lamb and how Moses went and slayed the lamb and he put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the house so that the destroyer went over and passed over the Israelites so that none of their firstborn would be killed. And judgment came upon the Egyptians in that time. There was that Passover lamb. Jesus was our Passover lamb. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about, uh, again, the, the, the Messiah and the, the, the suffering that he was going to endure. And all the Old Testament scripture, it's all pointing to Jesus and what he did. And I'm sure Jesus is expounding all of this truth to them. And they're, they're taking it all in, the disciples. And then verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us. For it is, to it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. See here, the disciples, they're so moved by Jesus' words 
that they're asking this man who they just met on the road, this stranger to them, they say, hey, stay with us. Continue. Let's, we want to have this conversation continue. Come over so we can keep fellowshipping on this topic. And that's one thing, one of the reasons why I like the idea of Redeemed Church Fellowship is because there is fellowship here after church service. I love when you guys come early. You guys have 15 minutes to fellowship before service, and you guys should be fellowshipping. There's 30, the 30 minutes after service where I see you guys fellowshipping. And in those moments, we are talking about the things of the Lord and what, what's going on in our life and how God can help us through these things. And this is what the disciples wanted to continue in that fellowship with this man, Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus yet, though. Their eyes are still blind. In verse 30, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from his sight. He vanished from their sight. So first the disciples, they, they don't realize it's Jesus who's walking with them. They know his words are powerful and, and what he's saying is making sense. So they continue with him. One of the things I, I recognize in our life too, when we see a movement of the spirit of God, jump in at both feet. Jump in at both feet. When you see a God moving, the spirit of God moving in an area, jump in. Because that's where we want to be, in God's presence, abiding with Christ. Now, Jesus, as he took this bread, he's doing what he had done with them so many times before, to sit down and have a meal with them. And we saw Jesus do that in the Gospels. He's being very personal with them. He's eating with them. And by the way, ghosts and phantoms, they, they don't break bread and eat it, okay? So Jesus is not just a phantom, okay, as a resurrected man he, he had his resurrected body which was able to eat and jesus is using this resurrected physical body here with them and then something happens that opens these disciples eyes to the truth of, of who the man is who is sitting there with them the god man it wasn't the bread that did it it wasn't the room it wasn't dim lighting that was kind of making them not see who it was Something revealed to them who the man was that was sitting there with them, and it's Jesus himself revealed himself to them. God revealed who Jesus was to them because Jesus had the power to open the eyes of the blind. And some even say that it was when Jesus pulled out the bread that they saw the scars in his hand. And they realized that it was Jesus who was sitting there with them, still supernaturally coming to that realization of who Jesus is, that God revealed to them the truth about his son in that moment. And are we asking God to do this in our life? This leads me to my last point this morning. Point six, ask Jesus to reveal himself. I'm wondering, are we asking Jesus to reveal himself to us more and more every day? Saying, Jesus, teach me new things about you. Teach me new things about who you are through your word, through prayer, through fellowship. And just at that moment when the disciples are at that point where they realize, oh my gosh, this is Jesus sitting right here with us. Boom, he's gone. Just like that, it vanishes. 
Verse 32, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? See, the disciples didn't say here, wasn't the scriptures so great once our hearts were on fire for the Lord? They didn't say that. In fact, they said the opposite. They say, didn't it burn in our hearts when God spoke and when he opened the scriptures? Did you catch that again? Let me, let me make sure we get this point home because it wasn't that the scriptures were so great once their hearts were on fire. It was that their hearts became on fire after God, Jesus, began to speak the scripture to them because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 and 17. In verse 33, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. See, never underestimate what a meeting can do, what God can do with a divine appointment, a conversation, a walk on the road. Realize that you guys are God's servants, and that the Holy Spirit He's anointed you. He hasn't anointed the places and the plans that we have. He's anointed you. You guys are his anointed vessels. So wherever you go, you're carrying that anointing with you. It's not the job that's like, oh, that's the chosen job that God had. That's the anointed job. And that's the anointed car. And that's the anointed breakfast table. No, it's you who are anointed. And walk in that. So some things, even so simple as gathering together to break bread, can be used by God to reveal his son to a soul. So we saw that, look, we can abide in Christ. We should be abiding in Christ every day, that Jesus is, he's the same as God. He's equal to God. That Jesus needs to be our Lord, and that we need to believe even when we can't see in our life. Because the whole Bible was pointing to Jesus So if we want to grow in this, let's simply, on a daily basis, ask Jesus to reveal himself to us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, your love. I thank you, Lord, that you call us to walk with you, Father, that you show us new things, Lord. And Father, may we grow in our walk, Lord. I know there's times and places in our life where we are like these disciples here, Father, disheartened, confused, and scared. We're worried, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would remind us, Lord, that you have a plan in all these things. That sometimes when we don't understand all the, the craziness of life, Lord God, you simply call us to have faith in you, to believe in your promises. To remember, Lord God, the things that we understand, which is that you love us and that you've called us to yourself. Be with all all your, your children here this morning. Bless them. For those listening online, bless them, Lord God. Their families. Watch over, protect them this week. Do those miracles that we're praying for, Lord God. 
We trust you in all these things. We love you. May we grow in our walk. May we grow in knowing who Jesus is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.